Hey everyone, I'm Bobby Sylvester, and we have a waiver wire episode coming up for you, but first a word from one of our sponsors, SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there's a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get your tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek is going to get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere with just a few taps, and I can instantly find seats. I actually just use the SeatGeek app to buy tickets to a Cardinals game later in the year. They're in the playoff race. I'm really excited about it. And SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. Best of all, my listeners get 20% off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code FANTASYPROS today. That's promo code FANTASYPROS for 20% off your first SeatGeek purchase. All right, let's talk some football. Welcome back to the Fantasy Pros Football Podcast. I'm Bobby Sylvester with Mike Tagliere after an ugly week one text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so weird. We get back, right? And we're all excited for week one. Then we get back and we're like, what did we just watch on Sunday? Like, it, it was me to sleep, man. I fell asleep during the first set of games. I did not fall asleep. I was actually glued to the TV. I was watching everything, but uh, it was um, it was a weird one, man. It was just it was one of those those dark weeks that just didn't feel right. Nobody played well. Yeah. And if you had a quarterback that threw for like 250 yards and a touchdown and no picks, you were probably happy with that. <laughs> um, you know, considering the fact that like Jared Goff was like a top five quarterback while he threw one touchdown. So, I mean, it was a mad week, man, but the news has been rolling in, Bobby. You want to get us kicked off? Like, man, this is this is a brutal uh, injury week. Yeah, so today we'll be chatting about all these injuries, uh, some performances that surprised us, either bad or good, then giving our takes on the top waiver wire options. Our guest today is Jody Smith of Gridiron Experts. You can find him on Twitter at Jody Smith NFL. Joe, do we know you've been extremely busy dealing with the hurricane, so we appreciate you coming on, man. Absolutely, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on again. It, it's always wonderful to be on with you two. And I was just thinking, listening to you guys talk about week one, and the word I wanted to come up with was hostile, just because I had to actually yeah. sit through that the Texans debacle that was. I mean, mm. and that was a pretty hostile crowd, and I, you know, from a home team standpoint, I was about, other than that 30 to nothing Kansas City playoff win with Brian Hoyer a couple years ago, that was uh, about as bad as I remember. But overall, I mean, if you didn't have LaShawn McCoy or Antonio Brown, you pretty much probably came away from, uh, you know, this past (laughs) Sunday pretty disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though. Being a Texans fan has to be better than being uh, a Rams player. But did you see their crowd? I mean, nothing is better being an old Rams fan, being here from St. Louis and having the team robbed from them. Seeing them have like 5,000 fans in their stadium, it was just beautiful. Yeah, in a week, in a week they they won too. Like, yeah, I, they I, won by like forty points, and it didn't matter. Nobody showed up. They don't care in Los Angeles. Someone posted that the tickets were selling for the upper deck ones. I mean, upper deck. So what? You're at a football game, right? Uh, they were selling for six dollars, and they still didn't sell. So that's that's not amazing. Good, man. Amazing, man. Uh, Anyway, we have all these injuries, and obviously we have to talk about David Johnson. We just got news right before the show. He's going to be getting a second opinion, but he has a dislocated wrist, probably going to miss 12 weeks. I mean, this might end up being the whole season. I don't think the Cardinals are good enough to win without him. 
Why not just shut them down? What do you think, Jody? Oh, I agree. When you're seeking a second opinion for something like a wrist, it, it generally the answer is not going to come back with something that you want to hear. Even if he can say, you know, play with a brace on or something like that, it's going to definitely affect the way he can carry the ball. You're going to have all these defenders in there slapping at the wrist, trying to get that ball out of there. And as anyone knows, it's hard to catch passes, which is what he does really, really well out of the backfield. It's hard to catch passes when you can't move your wrist really well. So whatever the diagnosis comes back from a second opinion, uh, it's obviously alarmingly bad news and just a fantasy fallout. You know, here we are one weekend and we got the, you know, the, the 101 already, you know, off potentially off the shelf for the whole year. Just, man, this is going to be a rough year. Yeah, no, it's definitely not good um, to hear about this. Uh, David Johnson, the fact that the weird part is he actually came back into that game after he hurt his wrist and then he that's fumbled. Incredible. Yeah, and then he fumbled on the first carry. So to hear the fact that his wrist was dislocated, that's that's really odd. So this guy's a warrior, obviously, but Bruce Arian saying that it's the same prognosis as TJ Logan, who is out 12 weeks. It's basically done for the year. Now, here's my question to you, Jody, while there's, and Bobby, you too. So let's pretend that, you know, we don't hear about the decision for another 48 hours. In the meantime, let's pretend our, our our listeners are out there and they have David Johnson. What if would you trade what would you trade him for right now? What's something that you were like, you know what, I just want to get out before they announce it's out for the year? What would you actually move him for? Do you think it's not worth it and you'd just rather hold in, in the hopes that he's only out a couple weeks? I'll tell you what. You get him for those last four weeks in the fantasy football playoffs, that changes the whole ball game. I mean, I know it's eating up a roster spot, but I probably wouldn't trade him for any less than like a sixth round pick. Like if somebody offered me C.J. Anderson for him, I'd have to pull the trigger. Mike Gilsley, yeah, I'd pull the trigger. Besides that, I mean, if you're talking Amir Abdullah, I think I'd rather have four weeks of David Johnson with a chance that he comes back sooner. Wow. What about you, Jody? Well, like Bobby said, it's all about can you afford to eat that roster spot? I mean, at this point, you know, you're you're assuming right now that you're willing to trade. So you're going to roll the dice that uh, he actually does come back and it doesn't sound like he will. So you know, I, I'd have to say, if, if I could get any usable player, those were a couple of decent names out there. I mean, you have to consider it. Obviously, it's a different mindset in redraft versus dynasty. But, you know, in, in redraft, it's, it's just looking so bad. And I don't think the schedule necessarily plays all, all, all that well. And you have you can't really like Arizona's chances of, of uh, having a lot on the line to play for late in the year either. So unless they're right in the middle of the NFC West playoffs race, gosh, you know, it's just hard to say them even bringing him back if he does miss 10 or 12 weeks like they're speculating now. So I don't know. I mean, I guess at that point, if you could get back something in return and let somebody else take that risk, I would consider it. Yeah. Whenever anybody tells me that they're going to get a second opinion and he's already gone through x-rays, he's gone through MRIs. So this is pretty much the diagnosis, guys. So if I can sell David Johnson for anything in a redraft league, I'm going to do it. Uh, As long as that player is, you know, obviously going to contribute at some point. You know, you mentioned Amir Abdullah. I think Abdullah, he had a tough break in week one. The matchup was crappy. His offensive line was five weeks. The the matchup is horrible. He's going to be horrible for a while. But I still think that he's going to be a volume play most weeks. So I'm okay with Abdullah. Like, but if you're talking about a player like Jeremy Hill, no, because he's never going to contribute yeah. on your fantasy team. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to talk about all this stuff. But yeah, if you have David Johnson, I'm I'm selling to an owner that's willing to buy on you know an off chance that he comes back. Well, I mean, Abdullah's not getting goal line carries and theoretics there for third down. It's pretty obvious the way the Lions want to use those three guys right now. I think Riddick has a pretty low floor. In fact, I'd put him in the same category as Terrence West at this point. Wow. 
That's fair. Another big injury from the weekend I think we should talk about, guys, is it happened in that game that Jody said he was watching. And the Allen Robinson, the, he was slated to be um, a free agent this offseason. You know, he tore his ACL. The, the, the best thing about this, though, is that modern medicine has come so far that guys returning from torn ACLs, it really doesn't affect the rest of their career. It hasn't. You know, they've come back just as good, if not better players, and it's fine. Uh, but the problem is, you know, the fallout from this. Like, where do we go from here with the Jaguars receiving core? Because Marquise Lee is not ready to be a number one you got Dade Westbrook on IR <laughs> I mean what is going on here Bobby this is your team so let's hear you talk about yeah it. I mean does it matter it, I mean it's not like the Jaguars are going to throw the ball more than 21 times in a game Blake Bortles if you saw was horrible again I know it was the Texans defense so like you got to give them a little credit but it doesn't matter who their wide receiver number one is hardly going to be relevant in fantasy I don't think Marquise Lee is startable from week to week and I'll tell you what I know Alan Hearns is the guy that a lot of people are scrambling to pick up He's number three on the depth chart right now. Marquise Lee, Keelan Cole was uh, ahead of him on the depth chart, and he actually almost had two touchdowns. I know he didn't have any catches, but he had a ball thrown to him in the end zone, and he had another play where he had the wide open end zone if the defender didn't make a really nice play on it. So I think Keelan Cole's the number two guy. Don't go pick up Alan Hearns. Uh, but Marquise Lee, I mean, we're probably looking at someone who's going to get 120-plus targets for about a 1,000 yards. Just think of him as Robbie Anderson, what we thought at the beginning of the season before uh, Jermaine Curse made it clear that he's the Jets' number one. <laughs> That's a fair comparison. Jody, where are you at on this Jaguars uh, receiving situation? Uh, It's pretty uninspiring, to say the least. I, I don't know what they're going to do. I guess my expectation would be Hearns and Marquise Lee would probably be your outside starters. But you're looking at a Blake Bortles-led offense that is – I think what you saw this week in Houston is exactly how they're going to try to roll out, which is try to keep the ball away from Blake Bortles as much as possible. 52% completion percentage against the Texans. Uh, that's right on par with what you generally expect from him. The only thing he did well this week was uh, avoid turnovers and week to week, you're not going to be able to rely on him to not do that. They're just going to try to control the clock with, with Leonard Fournette and a strong defense and a running game. So uh, Marquise Lee would be the guy I'd want to focus on. It, you know, he didn't have any receptions this week, but he only, you know, at least he had to four targets and then Hearns came in after Robinson left again I know he caught four for 42 but uh, you know he's a guy that we in the fantasy community have been down on here for quite a while so I wouldn't be hot to trot definitely not for Hearns and then like you said the guys behind him Keelan Cole and Aurelius Ben ugh, you know that's just and they're tight ends and not to mention tight ends are basically without any value (laughs) they don't really have tight ends they're just extra offensive linemen Basically, that's exactly what they're going to be. Uh, so, you know, you can take a flyer on Marquise Lee. Bobby, if uh, your guess on the targets come to fruition, he actually would have some, uh, you know, maybe some wide receiver four uh-huh. value if he can command that many targets. And yeah. Hearns, you know, is the kind of guy I wouldn't necessarily be trying to spend a lot of money on my waiver wire this week to grab. I suppose he, you know, somebody you can take a chance on a roster, but this is not going to be a dynamic Jacksonville offense at all. It's just someone that's going to be a, it's going to be a run first offense. And these are going to be secondary receivers that maybe you can plug and play uh, when these uh, bad bye weeks come up here in about a month. Yeah. Hearns is probably going to have like four or five good games, but like Good luck trying to decide which games those are going to be, right, Tags? Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I'm going to be right. I'm going to be wrong sometimes. But this one I'm going to gloat about a little bit because I actually, in my in my week one primer, I had the Jaguars beating uh, the Texans. And I said that the only way that they lose this game is if Blake Bortles gives it away and throws a couple pick sixes or whatever. Because the Jaguars, people just continue to underestimate this defense that was getting better as the year went on, adding Boye and Calais Campbell to it. You know, they were my number one defense, you know, in terms of DFS. They were on like every single one of my lineups. Some Steve 
Steelers, but that really panned out. And, you know, going forward, this is going to be a really, really good defense. Leonard Fournette is someone I talked about in the um, the Sunday morning show. If you guys haven't heard, I do a Sunday morning show where I take all of our premium subscribers, you know, I take their questions and everything. And as the week went on, the more and more I fell in love with Leonard Fournette. You know, they confirmed the fact that they were just hiding him in the preseason when they removed him from the injury report. They were just protecting the guy that they knew they were going to trust to carry this load. And when I, you know, when I, when I say that the Jaguars, I felt they're going to win. If you're going to give a guy as talented as Leonard Fournette 20 carries against any defense, I'm going to bet on him. So I was comfortable playing him and he, you know, he really, he looked really good. Uh, he actually could have had two touchdowns if they would have went to him on the goal line a different time. I don't know why they didn't, but it was, it was a weird situation. But at the same time, I am concerned about this offense going forward because they just don't have any other playmakers on the team. And I, as I mentioned, this team's defense is good enough to carry them to the playoffs. I believe that, but Blake Bortles isn't going to win you a championship. And now losing Allen Robinson is not going to make Blake Bortles look any better. So I I don't know. I, I wonder if this team tries to make a move at some point for something just because they realize how good their defense actually is. Yeah. Uh, something else I want to talk about here is Andrew Luck. I know we've touched on him in the past few podcasts, but it sounds now like he's going to be out four or five weeks. If the Colts are this bad and they start 0-4 or 0-5, why would they bring Andrew Luck back? Why not just let him finally rest up his shoulder, miss the entire season, get that first pick, trade him for a boatload so someone can go out and get that quarterback that they want? Uh, I, I just don't see the appeal in Andrew Luck coming back for the Colts. It's not like they're going to be a playoff team if he's back the final 10 weeks. Well, I think that they that's the way they've been playing this. I think the Colts all along knew that they weren't going to make the playoffs this year, and I think that's why Luck even started the year not starting. I don't think they, they had no intentions of rushing him back, and if he's not ready by week five, week six, they won't put him in. I, I don't think that they're going to let him take the entire season off because that would really tick off some season ticket holders, uh, and honestly, it would bring some really negative press to your team when you know that they've been taking their time with him. Uh, even with Andrew Luck, this wasn't a team that was going to win a Super Bowl this year. They're still rebuilding. Uh, so I do think Luck comes back at some point. They're taking their time. He won't be out there until he's 100%. So when Luck does finally come back, I, I think I'm going to feel very confident sticking him in lineups because th- this is kind of how they played it the entire time. Why are we going to put our franchise quarterback out there with a bad team? But I think the real story, Jody, I'm going to ask you about this, is Frank Gore has already found himself to pine. Uh, and granted, you, you, you could say it was a game that was in non-winnable conditions, but Marlon Mack played just two fewer snaps than Frank Gore did in week one. What is going on here? Is this the Marlon Mack show going forward? I think it kind of shows you just how valuable Andrew Luck is that that when you remove a talented quarterback from that team, you see the abysmal showing that the rest of that unit had without Luck to account for. And, you know, very, very discouraging. Uh, As for Frank Gore, I, I mean, you know, he got all those carries early, but later on, Marlon Mack became more of a factor. But Mack got, what, 24 yards on one carry and then his other nine all combined for zero yards. That's that's a little disconcerting. I know he got into the end zone, which is good, and I think he's someone that's probably trending in the right direction because I mean the Colts have. I mean, in addition to having absolutely nothing at quarterback with Scott Tolzien, they have you know a really really lesser offensive line. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them bench Tolzien here actually pretty quickly. I do agree with you, Tags. I think eventually it, you know it would benefit them to probably get Luck some action, get him back, but obviously to wait until he's 100%, but until he is back 100%, you know, this is obviously bad news for all members of the Colts. T.Y. Hilton dropped off three catches, 57 yards, 
Dante Moncrief only made one reception. Jack Doyle down at two. It's just a bad, bad showing overall mm-hmm. for Indy's offense. And, you know, I think you've got to start lowering all members of the Colts' offense and fantasy until Luck is back under center. I mean, he's just – it's just the whole AFC South. I just don't know what to think after this week. <laughs> it was garbage. It was so bad. I'm trying to trade T.Y. Hilton while I can. I don't know if people realize. I think people think Andrew Luck's going to be back in like a week or two, so maybe I can get something. I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, now, somebody else that went down, and it's really sad for me. I appreciate all the support on Twitter. Kevin White out for the season. Another crappy fluke injury. Broke his, uh, broke his, what was it, shoulder blade? His scapula, his, uh, yeah. His scapula, yeah. Man, that that is a really bad injury. He's definitely out for the full season. And this Bears offense, they lost Meredith. They lost Kevin White. Um, it is, that's another ugly offense. It's, it's ugly, man. It's ugly times in Chicago, but somehow they, they managed to hang around with the Falcons. I mean, the, the bottom line here though, on Kevin White, he, I don't know if you got to see the game, Bobby, but he looked really bad. Uh, he didn't yeah, look, he did. He, he, did. He, uh, did. he didn't, he didn't look good before the injury. And like, you know, I was the one holding out hope saying that we don't really know what to expect from the kid, but we're now talking about three seasons away from the game when you were still raw as a player. The dream's over. Kevin White, um, I, I wish you nothing but the best as a person, but this is, this is the end for Kevin White. That just means the Patriots are going to sign him next year and he's going to turn into an all-world player. <laughs> yeah, Randy, Randy Moss 2.0? Uh, they're a lot different. They're very, very different. I'm I'm holding that to you, Tags. I'm going to say that you compared Kevin White no, to Randy Moss. No, I so did not. So the pressure's off me on this one. So what's going to happen in this Bears uh, wide receiver core now, Jody? I mean, they've got Kendall Wright. Who else is there? Well, Deontay Thompson, uh, whoever whoever he is, uh, he's somebody to actually put towards like the <laughs> 60s or wide receiver 60 range this week uh, at my, on my Fantasy Pros ranking because I thought, well, you know, as far as I can see, he's he's slated to at the very worst be the wide receiver three. But but poor Kevin White, you guys were just hitting on that. And he, Bobby, you just said that maybe he'll be with the Patriots. Keep in mind, uh, Kevin White this year only salary is only six hundred fifteen thousand. Next year it jumps up to two point six million, and his whole contract fully guaranteed. So I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, immediately. But for Kevin White, oh, what I thought was interesting was that Roto World blurb that happened in the offseason. And basically it is that no first one wide receiver with less than 20 receptions in his first two seasons has ever become a successful player. That list includes Marcus Nash, Rashawn Woods, AJ Jenkins, Yatil Green, and my boy, RJ Soward who, for some reason, I really, really liked a long time ago. But <laughs> Those are some bad names, man. They are some bad names. <laughs> I didn't even know. I didn't even know some of them. Most of, I think most of your listeners are going to be like thinking I just made up a bunch of uh, fake names or got, got a bunch of those uh, <laughs> fake college players that the uh, Madden name generates when you're playing the uh, career mode there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, obviously with, with Mike Mike Glennon uh, having a, I don't know, how would you call his showing uh, this week tags? Mediocre? Uh, very game manager-esque. Yes. Yeah, he was fine. I think he was fine. Well, I know we're going to talk a little bit later about the positive outlook that's coming for the uh, Chicago offense. But overall, you know, with Kendall Wright and Deontay Thompson now slated to start, uh, you know, just not a not a very inspiring group. So, I mean, it, again, it's just like Indy. You know, well, I don't know what happened this week, but it just seems like there are several teams out there that the, the entire uh, starting offense just has to almost be completely ignored in fantasy lineups. And that's 
very unusual to see mm-hmm. happen one week it's into weird. the season. For sure. Yeah. Now, there were two other injuries I want to hit on briefly. Uh, Danny Woodhead, we knew that he was going into the game with a hammy issue. They actually shut him down during the game. And so it turns out they gave 21 carries to Buck Allen. I don't know if that's going to keep up or if it's just because they were up, you know, 20 points over that miserable Bengals offensive line. Uh, and then Danny Amendola, uh, I don't know if a lot of people noticed this on Thursday night, but he went under concussion protocol. He's had a lot of concussions in his career. I think this is probably going to be a longer term thing, which means more of Philip Dorsett. Oh. No, God, please, no, no more Philip Dorsett. I can't, I can't watch Philip Dorsett. If he didn't make it work with Andrew Luck in his arm, he's not going to make it work with Tom Brady. Tom Brady's touch, by the way, on Thursday night. We didn't get to talk about this because we recorded our show before that game, our last one. Now, some people are like, no, don't worry about Brady. He'll be fine. And I'm not going to overreact over one game, but I will say this. Tom Brady's deep ball had zero touch on it, like zero. And Tom Brady, he's never been known to like have like the biggest rocket of an arm or anything like that. But his accuracy has always been spot on. Yeah, it reminded me of when uh, Peyton Manning's noodle arm happened all of a sudden. And that's a really scary comparison there. He's 40 years old. We talked about it before the season, Bobby, that the only concern I had about Tom Brady is his age catching up to him at some point. And Tom Brady, granted, he was under duress, but th- there's been times in his career where he's gotten past that. It was it was worrisome. I, again, it was one game. I'm not going to totally write him off or anything like that, but it was definitely worrisome. Uh, and it may ha- come down to the fact that, you know, no Julian Edelman could mean, you know, not so good things for Tom Brady. Jody, are you at all worried about uh, Tom Brady in this Patriots offense? It is a slight concern, but, you know, we did write him off a couple of years ago. We were ready to uh, see if the Patriots were going to consider trading him or turning the reins over to Jimmy Garoppolo. And, of course, there's been that whole umbrella where the Patriots have just flat refused to get rid of Garoppolo or to trade him for any ransom over the years. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it makes you think maybe Belichick here understands. Maybe the Patriots' objective is to hurry up and get Brady that number six and then to make a really tough decision here in the offseason. But, uh, you know, obviously with one game we're not going to write him off there there you know obviously his play in, in one week left a lot to be desired but with the Patriots and, and, and Amendola everyone's going to be you know so quick to jump on him because I saw him take that Edelman role and catch six out of seven targets and 100 yards everyone's gonna think all right this is the guy but keep in mind this is Bill Belichick and this is the Patriots they swap everything if I'm not mistaken the first snap of that game Rex Burkhead and Dwayne Allen were on the field and then they proceeded to pretty much do nothing for the whole game so this week Dan- Danny Amendola played Julian Edelman but next week it's going to be Brandon Cooks or Chris Hogan or Philip Dorsett or Matthew Slater or Dion Lewis <laughs> or James yeah. White. You just never know what the Patriots. I mean, obviously Amendola is worth a speculative ad when he's fully recovered. He is in the concussion protocol, but he's not someone as any of the lesser Patriots are. He's just not someone that you can consistently put in your lineup like like you could with Edelman and just assume that he's always going to rack up six seven eight targets but let's hold off on uh let's hold off on riding off Tom Brady just yet uh you know let's give him I don't know a month before we start writing him off yeah the three-week rule. I, I read someone wrote that on Twitter. I think that's a pretty good way to put it. You know, Malcolm Mitchell, if you guys didn't hear, was also shut down, which is a real bummer. I thought he was going to be the guy, but apparently he had some injury that nobody was talking about. So it was a really ugly week, but I had a great week playing DraftKings. You know, I was going for that billion dollars. 
and I didn't get it this time, um, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. My lineup was really good. I'm really excited to build my week two lineup out this week after my success in week one. You know, I was really just two players away from making some serious bucks. I just uh, needed to not use Kevin White and Bilal Powell, who I was really excited about. But, um, you know, that's why we get to do it every single week. That's the best thing about DraftKings. You know, you just get to build a new lineup every single week. Week one's in the books, and it's not too late to get closer to the game you love with DraftKings One Week Fantasy Football. This Sunday, DraftKings is hosting a $100,000 Pick'em contest that's totally free to enter. Pick'em is the new way to play one-week fantasy football. Drafting your team is faster than ever. DraftKings has organized players into eight tiers, and all you have to do is select one player from each tier. The best part is you get to draft a new team each week without any commitment. All you have to do is use promo code FANTASYPROS to play DraftKings' free contest with $100,000 in total guaranteed prizes this Sunday. That's promo code FANTASYPROS to compete for your share of $100,000 in total prizes. It's free. Why wouldn't you try? That's DraftKings.com. Code FANTASYPROS. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, guys, so let's move on over and talk about some surprise performances. And I just want to start at quarterback with Deshaun Kaiser and Jared Goff. They both looked pretty good. Do you think that either of them has any fantasy appeal moving forward? Or is it just the matchups? I do. I like Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, I think we're in our fantasy pros dynasty league. I want to say that that I, I had Kaiser actually as uh, the number one quarterback target in that league. And guys, if you'll look at the fantasy pros rankings for this week of the three of us, I had Kaiser the highest at QB 20. Bobby had him at 22 and Tags had him at 25. So mm. I kind of liked him this week. I thought the the matchup with Pittsburgh as good as their defense is. Uh, I kind of liked uh, kind of liked him this week. And you're going to see the up and downs of a rookie quarterback back what you did in this game. I don't know if you guys saw the interception. It was absolutely brutal. He just sat back and just threw it right to the Steelers' defensive back. I don't know what he was thinking on that play. But overall, 20 of 30 for a touchdown. He threw an interception and he ran in an additional touchdown. So you're going to see issues with progressions. And like I said, the interception was really bad. But overall, I think uh, you know I think Cleveland's making a smart play here by making him their starter. And uh, as long as he stays healthy, it may be the year where the Browns finally find that franchise quarterback. Could it happen? <laughs> it could happen. I mean, Kaiser, he's someone that has a higher floor than someone like Goff just because Kaiser's going to use his legs. I, I was yes. worried about his confidence being shot, you know, playing against a veteran defense uh, like the Steelers. But, you know, it's kind of like it's a continuation of what we saw in the preseason from Kaiser where there's moments where he looks brilliant. He's making some throws that are it's tough for an NFL quarterback to make. And then he's making some where you're just scratching your head like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, but that kind of comes with the territory, though. We, we knew that coming in. His college coach had talked about that he didn't think he was mature enough to play in the NFL just yet and that he should have spent another year in college so we may some, see some more inconsistencies out of him but his legs are going to save him from a lot of this stuff the Browns are going to be in game scripts that are kind of going to fit his stat line I think we could say that but as for Jared Goff this is a more interesting conversation because if we go and look at preseason week two Goff looked fantastic and then we get to week three and Goff looked awful and then we get to week one and Jared Goff looks like the quarterback that they drafted number one overall last year 46 points man now here's the issue Here's the issue, Bobby, and I, I'm curious your take on this. I want to hear it because I've been going back and forth in my head all day on this. So Sammy Watkins on the team, that obviously helps out things, right? Todd Gurley, while some people want to say, oh, yeah, he had a great fantasy day. 19 carries for 40 yards is not promising against a Colts no, defense. That's no, it's not, not. But here's the thing. I wonder if the Colts said, I, I want to go back and watch this game more closely because I want to know if the Colts said, we're going to sell out to stop the run and we're going to we're going to make Jared Goff beat us. Do a lot of teams do that? And can Jared Goff continually beat teams? You know what I mean? Like Not enough to be fantasy relevant. I'm telling you, there is no chance he ends up on any of my fantasy rosters, even in a two quarterback league. 
Well, in a two-quarterback league, I think I'm okay with it in a good matchup, and I do have him in a couple two-quarterback leagues as my third quarterback because there's no chance that Jared Goff gets benched, so he's automatically going to be starter-worthy. But I really wonder about that. So what's your take on the fact that Jared Goff, like, is he, so you're saying he's someone that you're not going to be able to trust going forward. I know their schedule is pretty, pretty awful. (laughs) If he plays the Colts again, I'll trust him. Without (laughs) Vontae Davis, yeah, I have no problem doing that. I mean, I'm not going to say that they're like a college football team. But they're by far the worst defense in the NFL when Vontae Davis is out, where, you know, my bold predictions piece, I said the Rams are going to put up 30 on the Colts. And I thought that was a bold prediction that went on put up 46. I don't trust Jared Goff any week. Now, if he strings together, you know, three out of four solid starts or, uh, you know, five out of eight or something like that, at that point, yeah, I would be fine picking up Goff, but I'm going to be late on the train there and I'm going to miss out on him. I'm not going to let him just crush me any week. I mean, he could put up a negative two. Yeah, I mean, Cooper Cup, he's someone that, I mean, we we're, we probably talk about him in the waiver wire edition section, but I think Cooper Cup really fits what Jared Goff does well. And I think that's where people, some people, including yourself, Bobby, may, may have overestimated Sammy Watkins a little bit, where it's just, I think that Sammy Watkins... Sammy Watkins was good, man. Sammy Watkins just learned this offense and he was good. Right. And I have no issue with Sammy Watkins, the player. I have every issue with Sammy Watkins, what, what he excels at and what Jared Goff excels at, which is why I think you see limited production out of Sammy, whereas Jared Goff... Jody, what do you think? Do you think that Jared uh, that Jared Goff and Cooper Cup is a legit thing where Cooper Cup can be a wide receiver three in PPR leagues almost every single week? Uh, quite possibly. Yeah, very promising. I like that you hit on the the preseason where he wowed everybody a couple of weeks ago and then, then laid an, an egg. And that's what we might see out of him. But overall here, when the games account, uh, first game with Sean McVay, you know, very promising. The addition of Sammy Watkins to me and Cooper Cup, that probably gives the Rams the best core of wide receivers they've had in the entire what Jeff Fisher era I mean I would say Sammy Watkins might be the most talented Rams receiver since Torrey Holt retired that's how bad it's been for that franchise trying to figure out how to put up wide receivers so obviously when you actually finally get some competent pass catchers in there it'll help your quarterback get along but I don't think he's ready necessarily to come in and to be this kind of 300 yard passer I mean this was in his what was his eighth start or eight straight losses he finally got a victory and this is a a pretty awful Colts uh, Colts team in general offensively and defensively this is a squad that you know it's hard to measure up so the schedule obviously will get a little more difficult here for the Rams moving forward but you know you have to look at the way Goff played overall you come away I think a little you know a little inspired by it he's a guy that that obviously you're going to want to think about in two QB leagues I know uh, Bobby you said you weren't interested in him at at all you know you might want to put let him put together a couple of uh, solid games before we start anointing him as the next fabulous fantasy signal caller but there's going to be some hiccups there's going to be some inconsistencies anything you you see like this from the quarterbacks and oh man Todd Gurley gosh even with this horrendous Colts defense still at what two yards a carry and you know I know he got into the end zone and overall Mm -hmm. Bobby like you said you're going to see wow you know Todd Gurley had a pretty good game no no he didn't and that's worrisome but not a good start here because you had a team that was having like success all game through the air and Todd Gurley was still bottled up I know perhaps completely sold out to stop the run and open things up for Gurley and now moving forward um, they're gonna have defenses will have to kind of start respecting their passing game a little bit so hopefully it'll open things up for Gurley a little bit but if it doesn't and he continues if he exits this year again at under three yards a carry or something like that it's you know it's gonna be a little Trent Richardson type thing and that makes me a little nervous. 
in his last 16 starting games, 3.13 yards per carry. That's one of the worst 16 game stretches in NFL history tags. Yeah, no, I know that. But here's the thing with Goff. I, I just looked at their schedule just to see, you know, uh, well, if he gets together, a couple, strings together a couple of good games, can you trust him? Here's the issue. He plays the Redskins, the 49ers, Cowboys. That's not a bad stretch right there, right? Okay, so for the, so for the first four weeks, he has a good schedule. I like then it. it go, then it goes to Seahawks, Jaguars, Cardinals, Giants, Texans, Vikings. Like, no you're gonna, way. You're, That's yeah. incredible. That's a that's a that's a really tough stretch of schedule right there. So uh, if you're going to trust Jared Goff, now is the time. Uh, but I don't suggest you do so. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a great point, Tags. Uh, I want to talk about Kareem Hunt, what he did. Uh, people are already saying like, man, this is one of the best running backs in the NFL. I mean, it was against the Patriots. The Patriots historically have a good run defense. Jody, what was your take? Like, how far would you move Kareem Hunt up your rest of season rankings after this performance? Um, I guess you you could argue you could put him up there if if you really want to go crazy, you could put him all the way up there at RB four. I wouldn't necessarily put him ahead of David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, or, or Zeke Elliott if I were say drafting all over again. But in PPR, I would maybe consider moving him up and definitely into the top ten. And you know you can you could argue like I said between four and six. But what I want to do, you look at Kareem Hunt. I mean, I want to ask you guys this real quickly: if Spencer Ware was in that same game and Kareem. Hunt was out would he have been anywhere near as effective yeah I mean Spencer where was this good in week one last year I don't know if you remember they had the same game in week one as each other in the past two years so I yeah I think so I think they're virtually the same I won't say he will, would be as effective because this was ridiculous this was Kareem Hunt was better than I thought he would be this week he had the second if you look at 2016 and 2017 together he had the second highest fantasy scoring game by a running back in the last two years behind only Le'Veon Bell's week performance week 14 performance of last year. So it was ridiculous. But the, the real remarkable thing about Kareem Hunt, though, is that when I went back and looked at it, he only played half the snaps like he played well a little bit over half the snaps, 39 of 68 snaps, which tells me that's like it's a little over 50 percent. Yeah, it's not that's not great because we, I mean, we want to see him. You know, if you're going to be a workhorse running back, we want to see you up around 70, 80 percent snap use, usage. But uh, Charkandrick West is still going to apparently have a role. I don't know if this this grows, you know, after his week one performance. I don't know. It has to do with the fact that he's a rookie and they wanted to ease him in, but he looked really comfortable in the fact that he goes off for, you know, 148 rushing yards, 98 receiving yards, three touchdowns on just 39 snaps. That's pretty friggin' remarkable. So uh, I actually did my rest of season rankings today. You guys can check them out on the site. Uh, I have him actually now that David Johnson's going to be removed. I have Kareem Hunt as my number four running back behind only Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott, who I think is going to play all 16 games now, and uh, LaShawn McCoy. But outside of that, I don't think you can convince me that there's another running back that has a better opportunity than Kareem Hunt. I've got Freeman ahead of him. By the way, last last year in week one, Spencer Ware had 199 yards on 18 touches. So yeah. not quite as good as Kareem Hunt, but uh, man, still that really was a, good. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I've got Kareem Hunt number six on my rankings as well. And now I want to talk about Joe Mixon. Like what is going on here? He was supposed to be the guy. He's clearly the best running back in this backfield. They hardly gave him any touches, Jody. Yep. I think... Uh, Early on, everyone was expecting Joe Mixon was going to uh, take over and be the starter and be Gio Bernard when he was healthy for the limited amount of time he's going to be healthy this season. Maybe he would come in and play that third down role. But as the offseason progressed, we kind of saw it, the, the rumors starting to leak out that Jeremy Hill was still going to be involved or Jeremy Hill might be the goal guy and then I think right here when people were probably wrapping up their drafts we heard that Jeremy Hill is actually going to get the start and you know what we ended up seeing one weekend was just a really really frustrating committee where it was just hard to decipher whose role did what and 
I think moving forward, obviously Joe Mixon has has the upside there. I, I think he's kind of like a better at Jeremy Hill as a runner and probably better than Gio Bernard as a pass catcher. It's hard as it is to believe. So it's just a matter of time to me before he kind of develops and ends up taking on a you know a much larger role. But until that happens, it's just going to be a frustrating situation probably to avoid. All right, so I'm going to chime in on the Joe Mixon thing. You know, we talked about this before the season, Bobby, and my my, my biggest fears kind of happened in week one, looking at the snap counts. Actually, Gio Bernard played the most snaps among the running backs here in week one. And, and you know, Joe Mixon didn't do himself any favors uh, with the performance he had. I, it was, I think, nine nine yards on eight carries. I uh, added in a couple receptions, but Gio Bernard arguably played the best in the team this week. The, the, the stat that you really do want to know, though, is that Jeremy Hill, even though he started the game, he played just 10 snaps. That's that's that that means they're phasing him out slowly. I think he's going to be kind of like the Matt Asiata of this offense where he's going to come in. He's going to do the short yardage work. He's going to get the goal line work. But Joe Mixon, if, unless he screws it up, of course, is going to start getting that first and second down work being mixed and mixed in and out with Gio Bernard on third down. So you're going to see as the year goes on, Joe Mixon slowly take this job. But, in the you know, during this rough time. It's rough to trust any of these guys. And, you know, this week they're going to be going up against a Houston Texans front that, you know, is is not the easiest defense to run against. I know Fournette did well last week, but he did it with a lot of work. I don't think you could trust any of them as anything more than like a flex RB3 type play right now. Mixon is going to be a buy low after this game. I'm going to say that right now is that I'll put him in my buy low going into week three, because after this week, people are going to start to get frustrated. They're going to be like, you know, he's not getting the job. This is going to be a messy timeshare all year. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Jeremy Hill's going to be phased out. Gio Bernard is nothing but a a role player. And Joe Mixon will eventually, you know, get it done in better matchups. So as of right now, be patient with him if you own him. But again, he was someone I wasn't drafting anyways. Now, I, I was going to talk about Le'Veon Bell, but like people, it's week one. Don't right. panic. He's fine. He's still the best player in fantasy football. It's not even close now that David Johnson's out. So let's talk about a few wide receivers here. Tyreek Hill, I can't believe what he did against the Patriots. I don't know if he's going to just keep this up and be an actual wide receiver one. And then Randall Cobb getting nine receptions against the Seahawks. I don't know if it's because they were just avoiding Richard Sherman and Cobb was the guy that was open. Um, but this is really intriguing to me because I thought he could be a bounce back breakout type of guy. And then Martavis Bryant, we can touch on him as well. He did not look very good. So Tags, I'm going to go to you first on Martavis Bryant since he's your boy. Well, Martavis Bryant, it's a little concerning because Ben Roethlisberger seems to have an issue with Martavis Bryant. Like if you were to watch, I watched a lot, I watched a lot of that game and Roethlisberger is just barking at him all the time. And, you know, this goes back to kind of the offseason where Roethlisberger, he called out Martavis for missing the year and letting his teammates down. I was like, Ben, who are the heck are you to talk about, about letting your teammates down with off the field stuff? It was, it was the most uncalled for thing. It was, it was, un, it was just uncalled for. That's the best way I can put it in a, in a nice manner. Uh, but Roethlisberger, even on the field, he overthrew Martavis by 10 years yards, which is something hard to do, by the way. The guy runs a 4-3-40. He overthrew him, and then he's out barking at him again. Like, it, it, it's just, I saw him not look at him when he was open underneath a few times. So it's definitely concerning. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to blame it on one week. I think the entire offense looked bad outside of Antonio Brown. I don't even think Ben Roethlisberger looked good. Antonio Brown bailed him out a couple times. That guy's just a freak. But going back to Tyreek Hill, I want to touch on that because I'm, I have him down as a sell right now. And the reason I have him as a sell is because the, a, a majority of his production came on a 75-yard touchdown that was a miscommunication between new cornerback Stephon Gilmore and the safeties over the top, where he thought that they had coverage over the top. They didn't. Tyreek Hill, 75-yard touchdown. Outside of that touchdown, he caught six passes for 58 yards. Now, I ask you, how often do you think that Alex Smith is going to throw for 368 yards and four touchdowns? 
The answer is never again. Like it was the second best time. Well, he's fighting. He's fighting for his job. So I don't know. Maybe we'll see a new Alex Smith. Well, the thing is, Alex Smith knows that he's always fighting for his job because even when he was playing well in San Francisco, he lost it to Colin Kaepernick because of injury. So he knows he's always playing for his job. So, I I mean, is there a little extra motivation? Maybe. But Alex Smith is not the type of quarterback that's going to do that. The Patriots failed to get pressure on him all night, which allowed Tyreek Hill to work the cornerbacks. I think they focused more on uh, Travis Kelsey this week to stop him. And and it worked. So would it surprise yeah. Next week, if Tyreek Hill has, you know, four catches for 35 yards and Travis Kelsey is the guy going off. No, it wouldn't shock me at all. So, you know, Tyreek Hill, again, this goes back to the offense not being, you know, they're not going to throw 35 times a week. It was one of my stats that I had in in the primer about this Kansas City game and that it was one to target Alex Smith in a two quarterback league because he was going to throw more than usual. And as it happens, he did. Uh, so Tyreek Hill is a sell for me. He's going to have some big weeks. Like I think he will be a uh, at year's end. He'll probably be like a low end wide receiver, too. But he's going to be maddening to own. You talk about boomer bust options. I think he is the, the definition of a boomer bust option, kind of like. Uh, like Deshaun Jackson in years past. And I don't think we would have considered Deshaun Jackson as a solid wide receiver two to own or anything like that. So Jody, what do you think about Randall Cobb? Like, was this just a one week thing or is he back? Well, I would lean more towards he's back. I mean, I can't, you can't expect him to catch nine balls for 85 yards against a really, really good defense course, every week. Yeah. But I thought he was a nice bounce back candidate. He was never seemingly healthy 100% and, and on the same page with Aaron Rodgers all of last year. So that's why we, we saw Devontae Adams have this remarkable season. If you guys remember, reverse, say, 15, 16 months Nobody wanted anything to do with Devontae Adams last year. Every article you read was avoid Devontae Adams. He suffers from so many drops. He's not someone you want to target and all that. And, you know, things just really clicked for him. So I think it has, you know, a lot to do with the fact that Randall... Cobb just wasn't healthy and Cobb's always been kind of my guy I've always uh, thought that that he was generally speaking their primary red zone target before Jordy Nelson just kind of became that that guy over the last couple of years but Randall Cobb has, has been consistently underrated for me he's a, he's a guy I own a lot and I expect him to actually take a pretty healthy share from Devontae Adams's numbers moving forward I think Devontae Adams uh, it, when his season is all said and done I think he's going to be the third guy for Green Bay and what Tags was saying about Ty Kill. I mean, I basically just want to mirror exactly what he said. I thought, uh, Tags, uh, you, you hit that brilliantly. So guys, let's move on over to the waiver wire. And I actually want to start at tight end this time. There's two names on the list here, Charles Clay and Jesse James, who just had two touchdowns. Are either of these guys going to keep getting this sort of volume or was it just like a one week fluke? What do you think, Tags? I wanted to comment on this one first anyways, because uh, I got yelled at on Twitter after the Steelers game because I told someone to drop Jesse James. Um, And if you're listening, (laughs) I'd uh, drop him right now, too. I'd still drop him. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry I couldn't predict his two touchdowns. Um, But yeah, seriously, don't Yeah, drop him like he's not addable. He was he was there strictly for that game while Vance McDonald is still learning the offense. Um, As for Charles Clay, he's definitely an ad. You know, I talked to him. We talked about him. We talked to him on about the show on the show last week. I said that he was a great streaming play last week, and here's my stat that I, I came up with. Some people are referencing the last five games that Charles Clay has played, but I'm referencing the last four games that he's played with Tyrod Taylor, because if you recall in week 17 last year, they benched him for whatever known I, for, for a stupid reason. We'll just say that um, they benched him. And Charles, so Charles Clay's last four games with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback, he has 32 targets, 22 receptions, 262 yards and five touchdowns. And, and you know what? Know what coincides with this too, Bobby? It's really interesting because, you know, we want to sometimes involve this personal element into fantasy football and think that, you know, that these dream stories exist. Did you know that before this streak that 
that Charles Clay has had with, you know, over those last four games with Tyrod, he had a baby right before that game, like the, the game where this all started. So he became, a, he became a father and all of a sudden he, be, he has become a tight end one that in happens, fantasy football. Man. It happens. It's crazy. And the thing is, is like this, this happened in a game where Tyrod Taylor only threw the ball 28 times. Charles Clay, his target share was among the highest in the, in the league this week. So going forward, this is one of the only guys that he, that Tyrod Taylor is comfortable with that he knows. And I, I mean, game script is going to fit him more often than it won't because they're going to throw the ball more than 28 times. Their defense yeah. is not that good. So, um, yeah, Jody, I'm curious to hear your take on Charles Clay. If you think I'm kind of overthinking it or do you think he's really an ad? No, he's someone you definitely want to look at now. Uh, so far, so good for uh, for your boy Tyrod and uh, McDermott's offense because, you know, they didn't look very good throughout most of the uh, preseason. And there were really concerns where when you're switching the offense to a little bit of a different passing attack that uh, Tyrod didn't look like he was going to fit it too well. And, you know, right up until, you know, part of the summer here, wasn't even sure that they were trying to trade him. Are they going to commit to him? Right off the bat here, so far, so good. And, you know, you got to look at Buffalo's receiving core. They got a bunch of different pieces. They're moving in here now with, with Jordan Matthews and they moved out Sammy Watkins. So Charles Clay has that the the most seniority there and most familiarity with Tyrod. So uh, I, I think definitely early on, he can play more of a role. And like you said, he ended the year you know on a nice little hot streak there. So I think this week, uh, you know, at Fantasy Pros, I actually ranked him in my top 15. I, I thought it was going to be a you know decent matchup. Obviously, the Jets looked uh, offensively looked pretty abysmal, but their defense is still respectable. But I don't know that Charles Clay is going to be, you know, a tight end that I'm going to want to go out of my way to get in my lineup. But this is a position that's probably the thinnest in all of fantasy football. So if you can get a guy that consistently can get you that three or four maybe even five receptions a week I mean you have some interest especially in PPR and uh, I actually like Charles Clay more than uh, Eric Ebron personally but uh you know, you talked about people getting upset with you on Twitter. That was when I tweeted a couple weeks ago. Hey, guys, Eric Ebron's <laughs> never going to happen. Yeah, I, I would be one of the I, I'm one of the angry people at you about Eric Ebron because I, I think you're wrong there. I do love Charles Clay, though. Uh, I don't think I've given you an angry tweet yet. I've just been a little too busy, but it's going to come in like two weeks when things settle down a little bit. Be ready for that angry tweet, Jody. Okay, I understand with 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 Eric Ebron. I don't want to get on the whole Ebron tangent, but everyone was talking about those uh, Anquan Bolden twenty two red zone targets. Well, I think we kind of saw uh, you know what might happen in the red zone for Detroit last year. So take away this expected exponential growth in red zone targets from Eric Ebron, and you see what uh, how quiet he was this week. So what do you think? Is Kenny Galladay your number one ad this week, or is it one of the running backs? I'd look at uh, Cohen as my number one running back there for the Bears. But uh, Kenny Galladay has got to be up there. He's uh, he's number two for me. I filled out my uh, waiver ads there at Fantasy Pros for you guys. I had Kenny Galladay as number two. And what you like there is uh, outside of Golden Tate, he was number two on the teams with targets and receptions in the game. And obviously, uh, he looks like he's going to be a potentially pretty dominant uh, force in the red zone. I know his his first touchdown was uh, the, the nice little 45-yard uh, grab. But uh, he did look like that, that they were kind of focusing on him. His second touchdown came from from uh, 10 yards out. So that was, a, a, you know, a red zone look that we were just talking about with. And against the Cardinals, too. Right. Uh, the, the Arizona's quarterback. I actually downgraded the Lions offense uh, this week quite a bit, expecting, uh, you know, a fully healthy Arizona defense to do yeah. a much better job. But uh, come the second half of that game, uh, Matt Stafford really, really tore him apart. And uh, Kenny Galladay, you know, very, very quiet for most of that game. And he just kind of blew up in the fourth quarter. 
obviously you're not going to expect him to keep scoring two touchdowns. Especially in four receptions. But moving forward, he, he's certainly someone that uh, he's going to be a very, very hot commodity to add this week. And like I said, he, he's he's right up there as my, my number two add. So Jody, I'm with you. I've got Cohen number one. I've actually got Galladay number three behind Kerwin Williams just because he's going to be the starter. He was the only other running back that got carries besides David Johnson. And I don't think Kerwin Williams is very good. I don't think he's going to get 21, 22 touches per game like David Johnson. But, you know, he should get 12 to 14. And that's someone that I want to own. And Kenny Galdi, I mean, he only had four receptions. So I think he's still the number three receiver on this team. He's got some serious talent. Um, but I'm not rushing to go get him like I am a starting running back. Tags, where do you fall on these three? Or is someone else at the top for you? I think that Kenny Galladay is going to be overpicked up. Like in, in the fact that he, he's not my top guy. He's not actually even close. There's, I think there's at least five guys I'd take over him off the waiver. Wire. And the reason I say that is because... He's the third option on this team. Okay. Like he, he didn't, he like played fewer than 60% of the snaps. So he was splitting time with TJ Jones. TJ Jones started the game and then Galladay came on. Am I thinking Jones is a thing? No, I don't. I think this, ha- this came down to pure matchup. I think, I think Marvin Jones is the clear winner on this team in terms of what I expect going forward. He was on the field for the most snaps at wide receiver, whereas Galladay, he was matched up with Justin Bethel. He scored both of his touchdowns against Bethel while Golden Tate was matched up with Tyron Matthew and Marvin Jones was matched up with Patrick Peterson. Marvin Jones scored his touchdown against Patrick Peterson, which is which is impressive. Now, granted, yeah. Galladay, what he, the catch he made, like his first touchdown, was ridiculous. Like you, you could not wish for a better way to start your career than that. Do I think that Galladay is going to be a good player someday? I do, but I also think that there's three guys, actually four guys, in front of him catching passes, and those guys are Marvin Jones, Golden Tate, uh, you have Theo Riddick, and then you have Eric Ebron, who's also he's going to be on the field for more snaps than Galladay. So. He'll be a red zone guy, but he's not someone that you're going to want to start in fantasy without an injury to someone like Marvin Jones. So I I think he's being overlooked. Kerwin Williams is my number one ad right now, but pay attention. Pay attention to our Twitter feeds. Um, The reason I say that is because the Cardinals are reportedly thinking about re-signing Chris Johnson to come back in, which why... It may be for depth, honestly. It still might be Kerwin Williams' job. I, I was daydreaming for a second, and I, I thought maybe, what if Ryan Matthews was signed to Arizona? Like, how do we feel about Ooh, Ryan Matthews? man, that could be amazing. He's out there, and this is a team that is supposed to be wanting to win now, so why not go out and get someone who who could be a difference maker when he's healthy? Now, we know Ryan Matthews is never always healthy. We get it. But, you know, over Chris Johnson, a guy that really was bad in the preseason, and that's why you went out and you, you cut him, uh, I don't. I just don't see the appeal in that. Uh, but even looking further, Cooper Cup is someone I would pick up over Galladay for sure. He's my number two right now behind Kerwin Williams. I also think that Buck Allen needs to be looked at, guys, because uh, Danny Woodhead reportedly it's a severe hamstring strain, which I'm guessing this is going to be a- at least three, four week thing. We know that Terrence West is not like the most you know dominant football player where he deserves all the touches and he's automatically anointed the starter. We've heard great things about Buck Allen this entire preseason where he was doing good things in camp. They liked him. And obviously to the point where in a division game where, yeah, they won 20 to nothing, but that's not like a blowout. That wasn't like a Rams Colts scenario. He got 21 carries to Terrence West 19 and Buck, Buck Allen is the better guy in the pass game. So I think he's a must add right now. Uh, this is a team that they only threw the ball 17 times. That's not going to happen with the Ravens like ever again. So those guys, I would actually add Paul Richardson over Kenny Galladay as well. Now, where do uh, Marquise Lee and Kendall Wright fall on the spectrum for you guys? I have them right behind these top three, but I haven't heard either of you mention them yet. 
Well, I have both of them actually down uh, pretty low. I would I would agree that I would rather have uh, Paul Richardson ahead of both of them. And uh, Tags, great points on Buck Allen. He's actually my number three guy. But Kendall Wright, I guess hypothetically, he now speaking, he is a wide receiver one. So obviously you're, you're kind of interested in adding him. But we kind of hit on earlier how we have kind of concerns with the whole Chicago passing game. And then Marquise Lee, again, you're going to see the Jags featuring a very, very run-heavy offense. So I, I, while I do expect Marquise Lee to actually have a, a you know, pretty decent role moving forward, Bobby, you said you liked him to uh, approach a, a triple-digit target. So obviously, you know, got to be really interested in that. But uh, there's just more guys uh, that, that I would rather add than them right now. They're not just priority guys for me. And, and the whole Arizona backfield with uh, Curran Williams and, and Andre Ellington, I just don't know to make of those you got guys that are that are of similar size i think kerwin williams is listed at 5'8 198 and andre ellington is what 5'9 199 so they're pretty much uh, almost twins when it comes to size but i don't know that you can take the best elements of both of those guys if it, it would even be 50 percent of david johnson so if whether they re-sign chris johnson uh, it just makes me a little uh concerned i guess kerwin williams is definitely you know who i would target right now out of the arizona backfield but i'm just not you know targeting them nearly as highly as others are All right, Tag. So why don't you give us two or three more names for pickups that you like? Then we'll move on to streaming quarterbacks and defenses to wrap it up. We didn't talk about Tarek Cohen too much. Uh, I think he's obviously someone we should. Yeah, I guess you're right. He is the Uh, number one guy. I think. Oh, he's the number one guy for you. Uh, You wow. I see. I I I am. I'm more. I actually have him right by Buck Allen, where I'm not sure who I want to put higher in my rankings, just because Cohen played out of necessity because Benny Cunningham got hurt, and then he was forced into a bigger role in that game, and he and he and he played really hot. And the thing is, is like I've seen every carry that Cohen has had this preseason and regular season he's doing so much more than the Bears expected the Bears didn't expect this kid to come in and be a difference maker on the first and second down I think they expected him to be a utility player that they could use on third down maybe mix him in sometimes but he is forcing their hand to use him much more similar to the way that Mitch Trubisky was forcing them to debate who they were going to start Cohen has been a major shock and he he actually made he created yards of his own uh, in week one so he is going to be a factor but at the same time, they're not going to bench Jordan Howard. By the way, I, I mentioned it all offseason. Jordan Howard, I said his hands are bad. He dropped the game-winning touchdown. Like the Bears were <laughs> were there with I think I think it was 14 seconds left in the game. It was, on first and second down, Glennon incompletions. One was a drop, and and then it came to or I can't remember what down it was, but he was targeted right on the goal line. He was standing at the pylon, bounced right in and out of his hands, and uh, they lost the game because Glennon was sacked on the very next play. But uh, his hands are bad, so he he's going his ceiling is going to be limited. But Tara Cohen, I just don't know if he's more than like an eight to twelve touch guy. Whereas I think Buck Allen is, is more than that, which is why I'd probably take Buck Allen over Cohen. Uh, but Kerwin Williams, if they don't add anybody of significance in Arizona, Kerwin Williams is still my number one. Okay. See, I think about Tarek Cohen. I actually think that he's going to be the guy that gets a lot of these Kevin White targets. Um, I know that, you know, you can't just keep him in the backfield all the time when Jordan Howard's there, but he's got the skills where they can put him in the slot, throw the ball to him all day. He kind of reminds me of a Maurice Jones Drew. I'm not saying he has that kind of talent, but I mean, we're talking about someone who is tiny and overlooked because of that. But boy, is he strong. He's super fast. He's just a smart player. He makes instinctual cuts. And I think Tarek Cohen, while he's only going to get, you know, those seven, eight, nine touches per game, four or five of those might be receptions. And when you get receptions with a guy like this, we're talking, you know, nine, 10 yards per target. So I think Cohen could have a really nice season. And there's a chance, there is a chance that he takes over the job from Jordan Howard because when you watch the two run, I know Jordan Howard had some amazing stats last year, but with the brick hands and everything like that, 
I don't think that they're super committed. I don't think it's like, this is definitely Jordan Howard's job no matter what. If Cohen outplays him, he outplays him and he takes the job. Benny Cunningham carded off. Uh, you know, he's probably going to miss multiple weeks. And uh, when you look at mm-hmm. Cohen, he came out of nowhere. He only played 28 snaps, but got 13 touches. The 12 targets that, that he got this week, that's tied with Colton Tate for uh, fifth in the NFL in the league. So obviously he can he can make a big role and make a big difference as a pass catcher. And like uh, Tag said, it, you know, if Jordan Howard can continue to struggle and drop touchdown passes and game-winning scores uh, for the Bears, uh, he might be able to get himself into a, a, a nice little weekly role there. So that that's just simply why it's just that upside. It's just that I see, you know, the safe role there possibly for him. And if, I, if there were a little more, I don't know, um, consistency with how what I expected for Arizona to do, I know right now as we're recording, this. There's just a lot of speculation. You know, is David Johnson, how long is it going to be out? What are they going to do? Are they going to sign somebody? So it makes it hard for us to predict these kind of things. But that's just, I guess, why I, I would prefer to take Cohen. And, you know, I see him as being, you know, a safer option right now at this point. And, and you know, when it gets announced, what's going to happen with Arizona, then, you know, you can reflect on it. Unfortunately, I understand you got to gotta put in your waiver wires while you can. So, you know, it's a little bit of a gamble. All right, Tags, did you have one more name for us, man? All right. The last name I wanted to bring up, guys, is if you're, let's say you're a David Johnson owner and you're struggling to find a replacement, you don't have one, and everybody's reaching for these running backs and you may not have priority on the waiver wire or whatever the case. If you're looking for a short-term solution, Chris Thompson, you could definitely do worse than Chris Thompson. He's safe. He continues to, yeah, he continues to be overlooked in PPR leagues. I want to say he finished as a top 35 running back last year in PPR leagues, so he's like an RB3 at worst in PPR. And the fact that he's playing behind Rob Kelly, the guy who can't catch passes, the guy who continues to average, you know, sub four yards per carry every single week. Chris Thompson's going to get some work. So I mean, and with, you know, Terrell Pryor looking like a not like not a wide receiver in week one and the preseason, uh, it's only natural that some of these targets funnel out to other players. So Chris Thompson, if you're looking for a running back and you can't get your hands on any of those top guys, look to add him. Yeah, I think Chris Thompson's plenty safe if you need a, a stream for any given week. They play the Rams this week, so uh, another pretty good matchup. I know that Wade Phillips has his hands on the defense now, but I don't see the Redskins getting uh, you know, held down to less than 20 points like the Colts this week. Uh, the Redskins just have a better offense. And uh, a name I do like is Samaje Ryan. He's owned in 25% of leagues, and I know he got zero touches. He played some special teams. But when you watch Rob Kelly play, he's just not an NFL running back. I'm not even saying he's not an NFL starter. He's not an NFL running back. And Samaje Ryan has a ton of skills. He's going to take it over. I know some people are saying week six, maybe eight. I bet he takes it over by week three. I bet he gets quite a few handful of touches next week. And by then it's clear he's the running back and they give him the job uh, right around week three, week four. So I like him. The other guy, Chris Carson for Seattle. Uh, he was better than Eddie Lacy again this week. I know Thomas Rawls is coming back soon, but all it takes is for Chris Carson to get on the field and get touches, and then we'll know he's the best running back on this team. Pete Carroll's going to give him the ball, so I still like Chris Carson and Samaje P. Ryan. Jody, do you like either of those, or do you have another name for us? I think P. Ryan is somebody to keep an eye on. I think people are going to get discouraged early on here when they saw that mm-hmm. he wasn't even on the field at all as an offensive player yeah. last week, but keep in mind, Rob Kelly uh, didn't do anything special. 10 carries for 30 yards, uh, offers up nothing as a receiver, so so it's going to eventually get to the point where P. Ryan's going to get on the field. And we saw what a dynamic player he was there at Oklahoma. It's, a, it's hard to imagine the, the backfield that the Sooners had for a couple of years there. But Chris Thompson, uh, interesting, because uh, to me, whoever starts uh, running back for Rob Kelly or P. Ryan, or if they do some sort of committee with those two, Chris Thompson's role is actually safe as that pass catcher, as that guy that's going to get you 
three or four receptions a game. So like like uh, like Mike said, uh, slow but sure, he ended up as uh, you know somebody in the top thirty five, top thirty six uh, running backs last year. And there's a the same opportunity for him to do so again this year. And as for Seattle, Thomas Rawls obviously I think is going to be a factor when he gets healthy. Uh, the the one here to be discouraged about is Eddie Lacy because uh, you know we thought he was going to possibly maybe finally get into shape. And uh, obviously when you look at the snap counts last week, it didn't play out too well. Carson may actually end up taking over for that uh, ProSize role. I kind of think that we thought that ProSize was going to be the change of pace runner and a guy who was going to play on third downs and stuff. But uh, Carson was more involved uh, here in the first week as a, as a pass catcher than, than ProSize was. So could be entirely possible that we'll see uh, next week a combination of uh, Thomas Rawls and uh, Carson out of Seattle and, uh, you know, rewind uh you know about a month ago and uh, no one would have thought that so guys and gals if you need a, a streamer quarterback it is really ugly this week you've got joe flacco 26 percent owned he's playing against uh, the cleveland browns and he hardly threw it all because he didn't have any uh, reps in the preseason with his back and everything then we're talking about blake bortles against cincinnati at home and blake bortles mm-hmm. is bad but i'm sorry against tennessee at home and tennessee's secondary is really bad so He's actually one of the better options. And Deshaun Watson, if you want to take a chance, he's got the uh, the bum ankle right now after that Jacksonville game. Uh, the Jaguars just beat up on the Texans. They had like six players get concussions. Uh, but Deshaun Watson goes to Cincinnati. Their uh, defense did not look very special. And uh, Watson will be playing the whole game. So those are your three options. Guys, do you like any of those? Or, uh, I mean, what would you do if you need a quarterback? All right, Bobby. So yeah, Deshaun Watson, I'm not going to play him. Obviously, the ankle is a thing. We don't know if he's actually starting yet. They haven't even announced that. But on top of that, he's playing against a Ravens defense, a Ravens defense that just shut down Andy Dalton and the and the offense out there. Dwayne Brown, the left tackle, should be returning for Houston, but they allowed 10 sacks last week. Like you, you can't start Amazing. a quarterback that's getting hit that, that many times. Tom Savage was sacked, I think, on six of 13 dropbacks or something like that. It was something ridiculous. So you can't expect too much out of him. Uh, I would actually look to a guy that's probably going to get dropped in quite a few places and that's Carson Palmer he looked awful and there's no way for me to 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 get around this guys like he looked bad and you know there's a reason that he wasn't drafted in most leagues I get it but a lot of people did pick him up and play him in week one those same people are going to be frustrated drop him but he is going to have the opportunity that Jared Goff had uh this past week he's going to be uh, he's better than Jared Goff he is better than Jared Goff and he is going to Indianapolis to play against the Colts inside of the dome against that defense that's not good um they're not obviously the running game is not going to be what it was with David Johnson otherwise it would have been a week it would have been a week to stay away from Carson Palmer because they just run it down the throat of Indianapolis but now they're in a weird crossroad where they have to decide what they're doing they're still a team that feels like they have to win now and this is kind of like a statement game for them where Bruce Arians is not going to he's going to kill them in practice this week basically uh, after what happened in Detroit they should have won that game uh, but going to Indianapolis I'll trust Palmer and if he doesn't get it done here then he might as well just retire now, guys, over at Defense Streamers, um, we've got Baltimore, 47% on. They're probably not available in your league if you're playing in a more competitive league. They go against Cleveland. Oakland against the Jets is a great pickup if they're available, 34% owned. And then Tampa Bay faced Chicago. Uh, Chicago starting Glennon. He was fine this week as a game manager, but I think he's going to be more of a turnover machine than we've seen. It's also going to be, uh, there's thunderstorms in the forecast, so it's going to be a little bit wet, maybe some fumbles in play. Is there anyone else that stands out to you here, Jody? I actually like the Bucks. I'm, I'm sorry that, that you took them there. I think they're only like 9% owned. And I understand we have actually nothing to go by here since uh, the Bucks are enjoyed <laughs> an extended summer here with the with the week off. Yeah. But what, what you saw out of, uh, you know, a very ordinary Chicago passing game, I, I just have a lot of interest. I think the, the Bucks added some very, very interesting weapons to their defense this year, 
this offseason. I'm kind of interested to see how that plays out. And, and you're going to have a fired up home crowd that uh, hopefully is going to be able to to rally, unlike the uh, the Texans did here in Houston, coming off of a, a natural disaster. Sometimes that kind of uh, motivation can uh, give that little extra step to the home team. So I, I kind of think that the Bucks are, you know, again, an interesting uh, streaming defense option for me this week. Who's your team tags? Do you like uh, maybe the Redskins at Jared Goff? Uh, no, I don't. I don't like the Redskins defense. And, I, and honestly, I, I can't wait to see the snap numbers. But it seemed like Josh Norman didn't really follow around Alshon Jeffrey. So they kind of like duped us into saying that Josh Norman would shadow number one receiver. So I'm curious about that, why they wouldn't do that. Uh, but uh, me, it's the Raiders. The Raiders are available and I think like 70 percent of leagues. So yeah. uh, them against the Jets offense that produced, you know, like 200 yards of total offense. It's a joke. It, and the fact that they're still playing Matt Forte over Bilal Powell is, is comical. Uh, it seems like no coach wants to play Bilal Powell. Like nobody, like, you know, every single time Bilal Powell looks good in a limited role. And then, you know, towards the end of last season, I figured he earned that role. Like, how did he not earn the starter's role? And then, you know, I look dumb because I say to start Bilal Powell in a game that Matt Forte sees the field more than him. It was just ridiculous. That was amazing. I just could not believe that. I'm still shaking my head about it. I kind of wish you hadn't brought it up because I was starting to get over it, Tags. Uh, I'm, I'm not over it and I'm not happy about it. And I will never trust the Jets again. <laughs> uh, I just can't. I, now I'm just rooting for the days that the counting down the days to Christian Hackenberg starting because this is a team that is clearly looking to get that number one pick. Yeah, they, they clearly don't want to win if they're not playing pal. And, you know, that's why the Colts cut Stephen Morris is because they knew that Andrew Luck was going to be gone. And they were like, well, if we have Stephen Morris, then we won't get a good pick because he's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Had to end the show with that. All right, guys, that's all the time we have. Uh, Jody, we really appreciate you coming on, man. It was fun. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me again. Our pleasure. And for those of you listening at home, remember, we've got two more podcasts coming up this week. We're going to be doing our Start Sit episode with rankings on Wednesday, and then we're going to come up with our DFS episode on Thursday night. So make sure to tune in for those. We still have the signed David Johnson jersey contest going with pristineauction.com. All you have to do is subscribe and review us on iTunes and send a screenshot to contest at fantasypros.com. I also want to say thanks to the sponsor of today's show, DraftKings and SeatGeek. For Mike Tagliere, I'm Bobby Sylvester. Thanks for listening, and enjoy your football. I just wanted you to watch me dissolve